you know, you think about who was on the cover of those magazines and it was predominantly thin white women. And, and that was it, right? I never saw somebody who looked like me on one of these covers. And so to be in this position now and get to make those choices, it's just like, it's the easiest choice in the world for me to say like, hey, let's look at who we've historically excluded and let's give them a chance to shine. And those are some of my favorite covers and features that we've done. So a lot of it is about, you know, what would I have wanted growing up? What resources can I provide to young black and brown girls out there today who may feel like they don't belong wherever they are? And again, being able to to have a platform like Teen Vogue to do that from is just incredibly exciting. Besharam, Batamese, Chi Chi, Gandhi, Jalhata, Toba Toba, Oho, Bad Betty. I'm Sangeeta Pillai, and this is the Masala Podcast. This multi-award-winning feminist podcast for and by South Asian women is all about cultural taboos, from sex, sexuality, mental health, menopause, to nipple hair, and more. This season is a US special, and it took me by surprise. You see, I interviewed these incredible South Asian American women, I expected to hear some angst around identity and belonging. Instead, they told me how comfortable they were with both their South Asian and American identity. I confess, this is not the podcast season I set out to record. It's so much more powerful. Talking to Varsha Sharma fired me up because she's so full of encouragement and energy for all of us South Asian folks. Varsha is the editor-in-chief of Teen Vogue, where she focuses on covering social justice, culture, fashion and politics through the lens of young people. Varsha was named South Asian Woman of the Year in 2022 by the Howard South Asian Women's Collective. Previously, she was managing editor and senior correspondent at Now This. Varsha has produced several short documentaries, and has reported on many serious issues from all over the world. She won an Edward R. Murrow Award with the Now This Reports team. Having got her start in journalism with an internship at Talking Points Memo in 2009, Varsha went on to cover the 2012 presidential election for MSNBC. This conversation with Varsha has got me absolutely buzzing. So yes, born and raised in a small town in central Louisiana. And I, you know, I love it. Like my family, most of my family is still there. I still go back and visit a lot. It was very defining growing up as um, somebody who was considered other in this area, both in terms of, you know, my skin color, my background, I'm the daughter of immigrants, uh, my religion, I was raised Hindu. And so I do think those were very formative experiences for me for my entire life that have led me to be passionate about, you know, the topics and and representation the way that I am. But, you know, I, again, I loved it. I have a lot of great friends still from my childhood growing up in Louisiana. It's a very unique, it's a very unique state among American states. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it is. And I love it for for so many reasons. Um, The culture, the food, the weather, uh, the people, you know, Southern hospitality is a real thing. So yeah, I had a great education. I ended up staying uh, there for college as well before I made my way to New York. What was it like to be a young brown woman growing up in that part of America? What what did that feel like? Uh, It varied. I would say it felt... I can't say I necessarily have like one memory, the earliest memory of realizing that I'm different from other people, but there are certainly like a series of memories that I have of being made to feel othered or othered by people at school or out in the community. Uh, Now to my parents, incredible credit, they really banded together with other South Asian immigrant families in the area and actually started a Central Louisiana Indian Association. So I was able to grow up with, you know, a handful of other kids um, and other young South Asian women who were also the daughters of immigrants. And that community became so, so core to me. But in general, growing up, you know, it is, it's the Bible Belt, extremely religious part of the U.S., extremely Christian, Southern Baptist, evangelical. So there was a 
lot of tension um, sometimes between me and classmates or if I try to go visit like a friend at church because I thought it was a cool thing to do with my friend. I distinctly remember being 11 years old and having the Southern Baptist preacher try to get me to sign a slip of paper that said, Jesus Christ is my one and only savior. And I accept that. I'm 11 years old and I'm like, oh my God, I think I need to talk to my parents before I can (laughs) sign this. Like I, so again, very formative, very formative. I can imagine. And what about kind of friends or other kids in school? What was that like? Did you feel like you fitted there or not? You know, it's really interesting because growing up in the 90s and early 2000s, and sadly, this is still true for parts of Louisiana and the South, there was still a lot of segregation between white students and black students in some of the schools that I went to. We, like Indians or South Asians, we were always like the in-between. So we could easily have friends in both groups, in both circles. And I I loved that about being Indian. I loved that I could, you know, go between the groups and and be accepted and hopefully in, in some cases like bridge those friendships as well. But in general, again, like I had a very positive experience um, with my classmates, with with fellow students. I will say things changed after 9-11, as it did for a lot of brown people everywhere, I suppose. I The day that the 9-11 attack happened, a, a fellow student yelled at me to go back to Afghanistan. And oh I was God. like, first of all, like I was born here. Um, second, my parents are from India. You know, it just, yeah. the whole thing started. Uh, So, you know, discrimination against me, my family, my parents certainly increased after that time. But again, I know that that's something that happened to a lot of people everywhere. Yeah. Was it difficult at all to kind of bridge that gap to be kind of um, this young American girl, but at the same time, the South Asian girl? How did that feel? Oh, yeah. I feel like I have had those dual identities my whole life, and it's really only in the past I don't know, five to 10 years as an adult that I feel that those have like come together in a, in a more fluid way. But absolutely, you know, the the dual identities, the different cultures, all of that was very, it presented a lot of challenges for me growing up. I mean, I also, not all Indian immigrant parents are like this, but I have very traditional Indian immigrant parents who put a lot of pressure on me about pursuing a certain career or only marrying an Indian when I grow up, you know, no dating, all of those kind of strict roles. So that that was definitely a clash. But I think being born in the U.S. and raised here, I always felt pretty strongly that I'm myself an American, even even if other people were like, go back to where you came from or go back to where your parents came from. I never felt like I questioned the American part of my identity. That's wonderful. Because often that creates conflict within us, doesn't it? But it doesn't sound like yeah. it did for you. And that's that's really, yeah. really wonderful. I think it, it made me that much more determined to <laughs> say, hey, I'm, I'm just as American as you are. And in yeah. fact, uh, my my definition of patriotism might look a lot different to yours. And I think mine is the better definition. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I saw this photo of you in one of your articles. You were from school and had all these things on it, right? Librarian, treasurer, squad captain, tennis captain. And it just kind of went on and on and on and on. So were you, I'm guessing you were quite a high achiever. Is this like the South Asian, you know, gene that kicks in. It's like, you've got to work really, really, really hard. Is is that what was going on? A hundred percent. My dad drove us very hard in terms of academics and then also, you know, extracurriculars and sports like tennis as well. Uh, but that was a hundred percent, you know, all for my dad, you know, homework on the weekends or homework before TV at night. Uh, we were spelling bee champions, my sister and I. So wow. we definitely were part of that <laughs> that stereotype <laughs> as well. But you know, I don't I don't regret any of it. I'm I'm very proud of all of it. Looking back on it. Talking about childhood dreams and aspirations made me think of my own. It's strange to say this now, but I didn't have any big dreams. If you'd asked me then about what I wanted to be when I grew up, I'd have said, teacher. Because the only working women I saw around me were teachers. That was the extent of my ambition. I didn't see any women who had big lives around me. Every woman I saw, from my mother to the aunties next door, had pretty small lives. They cooked, they cleaned, they looked after their families. 
And now thinking back to the big jobs I saw, either on TV or in the newspapers, were all held by men. Astronauts, men. Heads of companies, men. Arctic explorers, men. So it is no wonder then that even with the vivid imagination of a child, I couldn't imagine anything more for myself. Let's talk about words and books and writing. I have a feeling that it plays a really big part in your life. Can you talk to me about that? Absolutely. Uh, I've always been a voracious reader growing up. Like my parents would say, you'd always see me with a book in my hand wherever I went, talking about the Indian community uh, that I grew up with. Even when we went to other people's houses for pujas, like I would bring my book (laughs) because I just always wanted to be reading. And I think pretty early on, I had an interest, significant interest in politics, again, largely down to my dad and then journalism pretty early on as well. And it was fiction writing. It was nonfiction writing. I did all of those things growing up, experimented with different types of it. Uh, My sister is also a writer. She's my older sister. So I think, you know, that helped and that encouraged me. But I think words have an incredible power. They were either my source of escape, if I felt like I wanted to escape into some fantasy land. They were a way for me to learn, to learn about other people's experiences um, or to see with what experiences I myself identified with. And I've always been a huge fan of history as well. And so one of the things that I love about journalism is it is the first draft of history. The, The way that we report on, the things that we report on, the stories that we choose to tell, the people that we choose to highlight All of those are very specific choices. And again, being, you know, a brown woman who didn't necessarily feel like I belonged in a lot of spaces growing up, being able to have the platform that I have now and make those decisions, it just feels really powerful. And and I think of it as a real responsibility as well. Absolutely. And I guess what words do, uh, I think I'm talking about probably my own experience, what what it did was opened up this world that wasn't immediately accessible or visible to me. Yes. I grew up in Mumbai, very poor family, very, very traditional family. And I think books opened up this other kind of universe. And for the first time, I saw other possibilities that I couldn't see in my immediate environment. Yeah. And I love the power of that. It's almost magical that it's like this doorway to this fantasy land and you can be that person. It is. Exactly. And it's just endless, endless possibilities, right? Like I... Very fond memories of going to the library and just spending hours going through the various books or series or trying to decide what I wanted to read next. I mean, truly endless possibilities. And I'm also very much a child of the Internet, uh, you know, Internet, digital native, sort of a social native, but a little bit older. I'm, I'm, I'm a mid range millennial. Uh, and so, again, having access to just all of the information that's available on the Internet also felt really, really magical. I don't want to go off on a tangent, but just because we're talking about it and because you mentioned the word magic, I will say Harry Potter, a huge obsession for me growing <laughs> up, continues to be. It It's really disappointing to me to see what J.K. Rowling has become and the transphobic positions that she chooses to stand behind because that series was such a source of solace for me growing up, like in so many ways and for so many reasons. And there's a brilliant quote from Dumbledore that she wrote, and it says, words are the most inexhaustible source of magic. Um, And I completely believe that it it is inexhaustible. Um, You can achieve anything with it. And again, part of me like hates to quote that because of who wrote it and and what she stands for today. But I did find a meaning in that growing up. Yeah, I absolutely hear you. Um, You know, words were similar for me as well. So I guess words, your words took you to where you are now the yes. editor-in-chief of Teen Vogue. Yes. I'm going to say that again because it's so bloody impressive. The editor-in-chief <laughs> of Teen Vogue. So what I love that in this role and in this magazine, you're pushing these conversations about identity and immigration and mental health and like big, big, big topics. And that's not the usual fashion magazine stuff, is it? Where does that come from? Talk to me about that. 
I mean, I'm I'm glad you asked about my childhood because so much of it is what would I have wanted at that age? Um, because I did read these magazines regularly growing up, whether it was Seventeen, Cosmo, YM, back when it existed. And again, some of it I related to, like articles about what happens when you get your first period. Like all of that is still important. And we yes. cover that as well. But, you know, you think about who was on the cover of those magazines and it was predominantly thin white women. And, and that was it, right? I never saw somebody who looked like me on one of these covers. And so to be in this position now and get to make those choices, it's just like, it's the easiest choice in the world for me to say like, hey, let's look at who we've historically excluded and let's give them a chance to shine. And those are some of my favorite covers and features that we've done. So a lot of it is about, you know, what would I have wanted growing up? What resources can I provide to young black and brown girls out there today who may feel like they don't belong wherever they are? And again, being able to to have a platform like Teen Vogue to do that from is just incredibly exciting. I think it's phenomenal. Like until I think I found your um, Instagram and then I was kind of following what you were doing, it blew my mind the kind of things you were talking about. And I was thinking to myself, oh my God, imagine if I was a teen and I was reading this, it would be life-changing in many ways because we we never, I never saw stuff like this, you know. Exactly. I, like you were saying, it was only very thin white women on the cover of fashion magazines, you know. Exactly. And it was very much, I don't know, how to find a boy or whatever, you know, like those kind of things. Yeah. Not that that's not important, but yeah. it was definitely not about identity and politics and migration and, you know, all of this kind of stuff. So I feel like you've completely changed what we perceive as teenage fashion magazines, you know? It's it's it's, it's yeah. absolutely incredible. I just love it. Well, I give a lot of credit and take a lot of inspiration from young people too, both my my peers and and Gen Z and maybe even a little bit younger. Young people today understand true intersectionality and they understand that you can be obsessed with fashion and also obsessed with politics and culture and whatever it might be. And more importantly, they understand how all of these issues intersect. So they know that fashion plays a huge role in the climate crisis, which is the number one issue that they care about, understandably. And so I also came into this position just wanting to make sure that Teen Vogue reflected um, how young people are thinking and feeling today. And it is very much that these issues are all connected. It's so true when you say this. I speak to a lot of young people with some of the work that I do. And I love sitting down and talking to them because some of their perspectives are so amazing and things I've never thought about. And I think it's so, so, so important for us to listen to them and kind of almost let them lead the way because they're the ones that create change. Absolutely. And we have to allow for that and we have Absolutely. to take heed, I think. And what you said there about fashion and politics, you know, they are connected. Climate change and fashion is connected. All of it is connected. Yeah. And I feel like before we've occupied these bubbles, we're like, okay, I only do this and I only do that. And this doesn't talk to that. And the world is exactly. this one place and everything's connected. And if we're not thinking about it all together, you know, we're not doing the right thing. So exactly. 100%, 100%. Hey, I wanted to pause this episode for a minute to share something that I'm really excited about. Podcasting changed my life. I went from typing into Google, what is a podcast? Yes, I did that. To creating the multi-award-winning Masala podcast. And now I'd like to share some of my knowledge with you. I'm starting podcasting masterclasses on my website. And one of them has been created especially for women podcasters. Just go to my website, soulsutras.co.uk and look under courses. or Email me at podcasting at soulsutras.co.uk and I'll share details with you. I look forward to helping you on your podcasting journey. Dil cheez kya hai? Aap meri jaan lijiye. Par pehle thoda sa apne dil ko jaan lijiye. Wo kya hai na? Dil kisi manual ke saath nahi aata. Do's and don'ts ki koi list bhi nahi hai. Easy liye. Aapke sawal aur meri jawab Hi, I'm Ekta. Sunia Decode Dil, a Spotify original. Episode out every Wednesday.
I'd love to come to some of the features that I've read in Teen Vogue and from you. I loved that feature you did with Miss Marvel. I absolutely loved it. Yes. And again, I have never in any mainstream publication seen a character like that talk about partition, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is phenomenal. Like, how did that come about? How did that interview come about? How did that piece come about? Yeah, well, I don't know. It, it was probably different for you because you grew up in India. But for me, as an Indian American, I feel like I didn't learn about partition and how brutal it was and how many people died and how many people were displaced until much later in my life. And when I did learn as an adult, I was like, wait a second, like this is this is huge. Like, I don't understand why I wasn't taught about this before. And there's a lot of factors that go into that, you know, our, our parents and grandparents' generational trauma. Yeah. They may not want to talk about it with us. I completely understand that. But to have that personal experience, to not having having learned about it myself growing up, and then to see that this show that is centered on a young Pakistani Muslim girl from New Jersey, a teenager, is tackling this. And not only tackling it, but actually like sending her back in time to witness it firsthand. I just thought it was such a phenomenal way to educate people about this thing that happened and also tap into that trauma that is so many of our families, if not all of our families, you know, in in some respect, depending on how far you go back. And so Sana Amanat, um, who is somebody who I've admired for a really, really long time, because one of my pet obsessions, you'll see this with my Captain America shield right here. I'm also a huge superhero fan, huge comics fan. And she was the first person that I found out who was a brown woman who was like working at Marvel. And not only that, she's really risen through the ranks um, to create a lot of change there. And a big part of that is Miss Marvel, first the comics and the TV show. And so when I, the TV show came out, I knew that I wanted to talk to her. I wanted to talk to her about this storyline in particular. And again, seeing the reaction from people was really incredible. There were there were two camps. There were my peers and younger who were, you know, the same as you. They're like, I've never seen this depiction on Western TV like this before. Like, this is amazing. And then there are a lot of people who like responded to me on social media about that interview. And they're like, I had no idea that this happened. And I learned so much about it. And I'm like that, like, forget ratings, forget whatever else. Like that is the success if you're you're teaching people about this. Absolutely. And I think this is the point, you know, when we talk about representation, and this is the point where key parts of history don't get told yes because the people who are telling them are not the people that it's happened to exactly whether it's partition millions and millions got displaced and murdered and what you've just said like that that trauma lives on in how many generations and it carries on yes. in the uk i mean there is more and more conversation about partition which is great but what isn't happening is none of the kind of colonialism, you know, none of it's talked about in the textbooks. Like most kids here have no idea that the British ruled over this part of the world for hundreds and hundreds of years. They do not know. Wow. Nobody talks about it. Yeah. And again, for me, it's such a shock because growing up in India, that was in the history books. We learned that like half of the history of everything we learned was the Indian freedom struggle, the colonial kind of movement, you know, Jallianwala Bagh, where like all these people were, were shot dead, you know, they're, they're yeah. quite brutal parts of history. Yes. But it's completely like as if it never existed. And when you get people from those communities in places where we can create these stories, that's what comes out. Exactly. And I think that's phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. The other piece I wanted to talk about is Bridgerton, which I love. I'm a huge fan. <laughs> yes, same, same, same. As I'm sure you can tell. <laughs> or already I can. know. Yeah. I can. And the fact that you share, share the same surname, Sharma. That's uh, right. Did I did not escape you know, that. <laughs> yes, no, I, I don't know if I can use the word, but I lost my shit when I saw <laughs> you that can swear those as much characters as you like. were named the Sharmas. I was like, oh my God. And actually like credit to Netflix here. Like yeah. I, I tweeted that like ages ago when we first found out they yeah. were going to be the Sharma family and just said something like my entire life, I've never seen my name reflected back at me in Western media. Uh, I've never seen that kind of representation, even though Sharma is such a common name. <laughs> it's one of the most common names in India yeah, yeah. Uh, and among South Asians, um, but I'd never seen it. And so I tweeted about that and it, you know, it, it, it got a lot of, a lot of people noticed it. 
and Netflix like specifically reached out to me because they also saw that and they oh, knew wow. that this new season was going to have a lot of meaning for me personally. And they gave me incredible opportunities to talk to the cast. And I really, really loved it. Fantastic. Now, what I love, and you've mentioned this in your article as well, and I noticed these things, you know, when I was watching it, cultural details. Again, we never see that unless yep. there's a person from that culture, you know, the the Kabi Kushi Kabi Gum, the, the, the Bolly, like yes. classic Bollywood track. Yes. And when it started playing, I'm like, is that? No, it can't be. It can't be. Yes. I'm like, oh my yes. God, it is. Yes. And, you know, I, it, I lost my shit too. You know, <laughs> yes, right? I know we were all losing our shit watching this. Yes, and, and it wasn't just us; it was the actresses too. Because Charitra, yeah. Charitra, who plays um, Edwina, told me uh, when I was watching the screener episodes, like she was so excited about it, she didn't even want to spoil me. She's like, "Have you gotten to episode six yet?" And I said, "No." <laughs> and she's like, "When you get to episode six, listen out for the song at the beginning because you're going to love it." And it's just again, mm. it seems like something small but it's so meaningful no. to so many of us yeah. it isn't small and that is that is it you know yeah. yeah when you hear yourself and see yourself and listen to yourself represented as you yeah. really are rather yes. than this kind of pastiche of indianness which is sometimes yeah. what you see on screen yeah. it just feels like oh you you see me that's yes, what it exactly. feels like you see me you hear me you know who i am you you've bothered to understand yes. who i am you know yes like and that, that is so powerful. That is super. That Haldi ceremony, you know. Yes. I mean, yeah. it's incredible. Like what Regency England, and you've got like this Haldi ceremony, and I think yeah, it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. Yeah. And I I didn't quite put it together myself when I first watched it. Um, but again, the the cast pointed this out to me. Something that was also really special about that is like there was no on screen explanation of the Haldi. Yes. They were just doing it together yes. as a family and you can as a viewer even if you didn't know exactly what that was you're like okay this is some important tradition to this yeah. family yeah. and this culture and that's really cool too because that means they didn't make it seem like super exotic yeah. uh or something totally foreign it yeah. was just it was there it's just part of it part of the show yeah absolutely and i you're right like i didn't think of it in that way but i think that's important as well Yes. Because what that's doing, it's saying, hey, here's a beautiful culture doing what they do normally. Because that's what you yeah. do, right? If it was an Indian family having a wedding, you just do yes. whatever you did. It wasn't like a big song <laughs> and dance, right? Oh, my right. God, we're exactly. going to do this culturally relevant thing, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yes, yes. The other thing that Bridgerton did for me, and I'm sure it did for you, is I thought, oh, my God, we are sexy. We are beautiful. Yes. Right? Absolutely, absolutely. I couldn't take my eyes off the screen when, you know, Kate, she is stunning and she's dark and she's beautiful. Stunning, absolutely. No, when when it broke records, you know, because obviously the first season also yeah. did really well and yeah. broke records. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But season two, like, smashed some of those records. Yeah. That feeling of knowing that, like, the romantic leads and the number yeah. one show in the world on Netflix were these two young, dark-skinned brown women Again, it's just never happened to us, it, right? Like we've we've never. never we've never seen it. It's never happened. And the colorism part of it, I think, yes. is a huge part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can see me right now. I'm I'm North Indian. I'm definitely a lighter skinned Indian. Um, Simone and Charitra are darker skinned. They're Tamil. That is hugely important too, because colorism mm -hmm. is still a huge problem in our culture among Massively, our families yes. in in the U.S. and yeah. the U.K. and and back home in India. And so that feels really really important too. Massively, I think. You know, until I probably moved to the West, I thought I was really ugly because people called me that because I was darker. And it's only when I moved to the West, I remember looking at myself saying, they're all trying to be like me. So which must be. I know. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That has you always <laughs> befuddled me. Like when I first went to India and yeah. saw Fair and Lovely. Yes. I'm like, what is what is this? There's such a thing as skin bleaching. People do that. I'm like, everybody back home is trying yeah. to get tan exactly. and be darker. Like it's, <laughs> it's insane. bizarre. It's insane. Yeah, it is. It but is. Coming back to Kate and coming back to the the, the kind of beauty of Indian women. And yes. for the first time, I felt like, oh, my God, we're desirable. Yes. Right. And I have never seen that before in that way, that we are vibrant, we're desirable, we're really fierce, we're really female and we're very Indian, you know, and all of those coexist. 
And that's never happened before. Yeah. No, it's incredibly exciting and empowering. And again, even sort of like the trickle down effects, like Charitra told me she really admired the way that Simone carried herself on set and how comfortable she clearly was in her own body with some of these nude scenes or sex scenes. And she looks up to her. She's like, I hope to get to that place someday as an actress myself. So, you know, down to you and me, the viewers who are just watching this and and feeling that way for the first time to like the actual members of the cast who also are dealing with those feelings themselves. Bridgerton made me feel sexy, like really sexy. Watching Simone Ashley on screen as Kate Sharma getting naked with Anthony Bridgerton Now that was delicious. Of course, the sex scenes were sexy. But it was a lot more than that. I could see my own dark-skinned body on screen finally. And that body was desirable and desired. And therefore, my own body felt desirable and desired. I'm a lot older than Simone Ashley's character but I felt like I could really embody her sexiness. I will admit this to you here. After watching that really hot episode where Kate and Anthony have sex, I stood in front of the mirror and looked at myself naked. Really looked at myself. And I loved what I saw. Dark skin, dark hair, dark nipples. I thought to myself, gosh, I'm so hot. Yes, I really did that. A person that I give a lot of credit to in the U.S. is Mindy Kaling, of course, who has written these characters who are um, young South Asian women on TV who are extremely sex positive, extremely confident, you know, maybe boy crazy in some cases, uh, like on the Mindy Project. But again, just refreshing to see ourselves in in these ways. Absolutely. And again, in um, Mindy's shows, I love the detail, you know, the saris, the the puja yes. room, talking to Krishna. You know, yes, I've never yeah. seen that before. Yeah. Or never have and again, ever. it's very, it's very casual. Yeah, casual, very exactly. Casually done. Exactly. Yes. She's just like having a chat with Krishna, you know, like big yeah. deal. You know? Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. We've never seen that before, I think. So tell me. Now, with more and more of these kind of representations on our screens and on TV, in magazines like you're doing, yeah, does it feel like things are changing? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think I would have loved to step into this role at any time, but I really feel like I stepped into it at a time when South Asians are rising forces or finally getting acknowledgement that we are due in media, in fashion, in entertainment and culture, in politics. I mean, we've got the first Indian VP in in Kamala Harris, right? Like Black, South Asian, first woman, like she's all the things. It's incredibly exciting. So it really, it's, it's, and it's only accelerated since I've I've taken on this role. Um, And it's been really special to become a part of this growing community um, because everybody is rooting for each other, right? We're all cheering each other along. And this is something I actually had the chance to speak to Mindy about um, at Teen Vogue Summit, which is like our big annual event that we have in LA. Um, My first year, Mindy and Maitri from Never Have I Ever um, were the headliners. So it was the three of us on a panel together, which also just felt amazing, right? Three brown women on stage um, in front of hundreds of people. And talked to Mindy about like her time as being the only the only woman and the only person of color who was writing on the office uh, in those early days of the industry where there weren't a ton of people like her. And going from that scarcity mindset of thinking like there's only one seat at the table. Yes. And so I have to be cutthroat and competitive and even, you know, maybe go against my peers or other Indian women in order to get this one seat. Going from that to where we are now, where we're just like, filling up the room in so many ways. Like there was this incredible celebration of South Asians at the Oscars, just a huge, huge party. The number of people nominated, um, the number of people involved in these projects, it's just growing seemingly exponentially every year. And so I really do feel like things are changing a lot. um, And it's beautiful to see us kind of all come into these positions of power at the same time, because again, we're all helping each other. You know, it's so phenomenal, like sitting here, like I've been kind of watching 
your Instagram feed and I can see, uh, you know, quite a few South Asian women that I follow. And it feels like there's a real surge right now in this yes. last kind of year, six months to a year. Like you're all kind of spurring each other on, like you've got each other's backs and you're kind of really out there. And what you just said, like all three of you on this panel at the Teen Vogue Summit, I mean, that says a lot. Yeah. And yeah. the Diwali party. Oh, my God. Yes. I lived vicariously. I literally went to every <laughs> photo thinking, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. I wish I was there. I You'll mean, have to come. You have to oh come this God. year. Yes. That's my yeah. dream. Like yes. to be at the White House Diwali party is the dream. I cannot tell you. Seriously. If I get invited, <laughs> I'll be like, I'll pray to Krishna. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's it's amazing that they did that. And uh, Cal Penn, who was somebody else who has become a friend yes. and incredible support and mentor and is somebody else who like Mindy he was one of the only people early in the states um who was breaking through in media he actually helped coordinate the first White House celebration of Diwali back in Barack Obama's administration wow. um, because he worked in the Obama White House um and that was a huge deal and obviously like historic and you go back and look at those photos and it's amazing and it's a small gathering of people and now you come to 2022 and we are filling up the white house <laughs> like every room the whole lawn taking over it's just again incredible to see the progress um and feel like you know it's a real moment it's a real moment it is time my fellow south asians there was a time when we felt so poor that we had to fight each other for what felt like limited resources. If you are still feeling that, you're not seeing the abundance of opportunities, of love, of the riches that the world is waiting to offer you. All you need to do is stop playing small and to step forward with courage to take your big, bold, rightful place in the spotlight. Because the world is immensely richer with our South Asian culture, our colorful, bright, positive culture. This planet wants our fabulous food, our shimmering silks, our twinkling jewelry. This world wants our rich music, our evocative poetry, our stunning words, our beautiful voices. It is time, my South Asian sisters and brothers. The limelight is ready for you. The question is, are you ready? Talk to me about that Teen Vogue cover featuring Charitra Chandran. I've never seen anything like it. It was my favorite, my absolute favorite. It was, it was so special. Again, as soon as I knew that this new season was going to feature Charitha and Simone, I knew I wanted one or both of them. And it made sense to have Charitha, the younger sister, the younger actress, to be on the cover of Teen Vogue. Yeah. Um, and I was so excited that she was excited and, and, and interested and willing to do it as well. And so, again, one of the important things to me is as a journalist first, because um, I'm actually the first editor-in-chief of Teen Vogue um, to come from a, a real journalism background, not just fashion. We've had these incredible fashion creatives and leaders who have been EICs in the past, but I'm excited to bring you know this other dimension to it. And so to me, it's not just important to put people on the cover who look like us, but to make sure that we are being thoughtful through all parts of the process, that the writer, that the byline on the piece is somebody who doesn't normally get a chance, that the photographer is a woman of color, um, that the stylist is an Indian British, incredible, incredible mind. And, and he did amazing. And I, I adore him. And so having that the crew behind the photo shoot, behind the scenes, and behind the article and, and story itself, having that be as diverse as possible as well, you get the best creative results. And so like the stylist Nikhil, for example, like just by dint of him being British Indian and me being Indian American, we're able to trade ideas very quickly mm -hmm. and easily and understand the language that each other is speaking. So it was actually his idea to get certain elements of our culture into it. So like a thumbs up bottle or <laughs> yeah. a bag of numkeen. And I just like, I died when he <laughs> was like, I'm, I'm bringing these to set like garlands of marigolds and I was just like, yes, yeah. let's see what we can infuse without being over the top. Yeah. Keep it, you know, a creative, highly stylized fashion shoot. 
And the combination of all of those elements, um, I think just came together really, really beautifully with that cover and with that entire shoot and represented, you know, Charitra and and, and who she is and also represented, you know, her background and, and her childhood and growing up too. Absolutely. And it all came across like now you've told me the detail of it. Like I, without even realizing I've picked up on all of that, you know, the like the detail, like the little armband she's got. That's yes, got like an Indian motif, I think. Absolutely. Yes, I remember the marigold. I remember yes. the details without really. And I'm like, what you've done there is like it's high fashion. Yes. With like an Indian aesthetic, but very modern. Exactly. It's not it's not over the top. It's no. not like beating you over the head with it. No. It's elements that are there if you're looking. And then even her pose, because Shridra, yes. I think, was a trained birth Nathiam dancer growing up. And some of the poses that she did with her hands and her arms were like those poses. And that yes. ended up being the cover shot that we went with. And it was amazing. It was incredible. Absolutely incredible. Yeah. You just yeah. Thank phenomenal. You. So tell me now that you've done this and all this all these features that we've just talked about do you now feel more of a assimilation between your indian side and your american side than say when you were a young girl growing up in louisiana absolutely absolutely i do again it feels it still feels very new yeah. for sure but having the chance to to do this and to teach other people about it um and to bring other people into the fold it's just it's it's incredibly exciting and again it's about finding finding your people finding that sense of community community that we have found among this rising south asian creative class uh and there's there's so many things that go into it right there is the obvious connections that we all share culturally and historically. And then you peel back another layer when you're like first gen, second gen children of immigrants. One thing that also unites us is that a lot of us defied our parents by going into the fields that we went into. (laughs) Um, And that's just like immediate solidarity and connection that you feel with people. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, it's, it's that connection is amazing. I definitely feel more at peace between you know, the, the two halves or, or the dual identities of myself. But I definitely feel like we've got a ways to go. Like there's there's much more we can and should do. There are many more positions of influence that I want to see us get to. But it's it's incredible progress for sure. And I guess coming back to some other bits of your career before you kind of headed up Teen Vogue, you were at uh, New York Times, you were an editor at Now This, and all mm-hmm. these other big, big names. Something I really want to talk to you about is your interview with Barack Obama. <laughs> I saw that and career I was like, oh highlight. my God, I want to ask her about that. Tell me what that was like. Oh, career highlight for sure. So that was when I was at Now This and I was the managing editor and senior correspondent. It was one week before the 2016 election. So wow. incredibly pivotal time. And Now This, you know, we'd been working, uh, the the editorial mission of Now This is news for young people by young people. Um, It's actually very similar to Teen Vogue, which is, you know, I I love Now This and and I love Teen Vogue and it felt like a very natural progression. But it was our mass appeal to young voters that made Obama want to sit down with us and talk to us because he knows how important young voters are. Um, And they ended up being critical to any Democratic victory that's happened in the last 10, 15 years. So that was just an absolutely incredible experience to get to interview him on behalf of our audience, to ask him about the issues that our audience cares about. Again, climate change was, was a big one. And that came up. It was also at the time that everything was going on with the FBI investigation and Hillary's emails. Um, And we actually ended up breaking news on that because I asked him about that as well. Uh, And so again, there are like a couple, a couple levels there, like so happy to be a representative for young people, happy to be a South Asian woman journalist interviewing the president. Like that meant a lot. We talked about his daughters, his relationship with his daughters. It was also around the time that the Trump Access Hollywood tape came out. So sexual assault was a huge topic. And, you know, that came up in our conversation as well. Just like, how do you talk to your daughters about these kinds of issues that are coming up? Uh, And so it was just a a fascinating all around conversation. And I'm so proud. I would be proud anyway, but I'm so proud because we were told we had 10 minutes with him, but I stretched it to 22 minutes. And (laughs) I'm extremely proud that I was able to get him to stay with me for that long. You should be. Absolutely. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm sure you get a lot of messages and emails from 
young South Asian women who see the work that you do, who see what you've done and what's possible. What do they say to you? One of my favorite parts of the job, if not my favorite, um, I think, again, early on, I didn't even realize what my appointment as EIC would mean to other people. I knew it was a big deal. It's exciting. I'm the first South Asian editor-in-chief of Teen Vogue. That's great. But I didn't quite realize the power in it until I got this random Instagram DM from somebody who told me they were they were a young Indian woman who was studying fashion, uh, and they were about to drop out of school because they felt like it wasn't worth it, that they weren't going to get far. She said, she's like, but I see you're the editor-in-chief of Teen Vogue. And I'm like, huh wait, maybe there is a place for me in fashion uh, and maybe I should continue. Messages like that where, you know, hopefully you can provide like the motivation or a little bit of proof for people that, you know, you keep working and and we can absolutely get to these positions. That just means the world to me because again, it goes back to being that young brown girl in central Louisiana and not knowing that I could end up being the editor-in-chief of, of Team Vogue one day. Um, but knowing that it was something that I wanted, that I was interested in. So again, being able to provide that for other young young people is just absolutely incredible. And again, going back to the idea of, you know, maybe having to prove to your parents that this is an acceptable career path. Uh, <laughs> that's not lawyer, doctor, engineer. engineer. <laughs> yeah, there's another, another young journalist um, who was fighting with her parents about about her job said i showed you to my parents as proof that like i should continue in journalism because again like success is possible and that just means the world to me i myself had to fight with my parents about this career path like you know my dad still guilts me about not going to law school but you know it's it's worth it it's all worth it wow imagine the lives of all of those young people you're changing in like little towns and cities and Wow. You're showing what's possible. I hope so. I hope so. I know so. I know so. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Okay, now to talk about something really, really serious, Varsha. I okay. would like to know about your favorite namkeen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Nobody has ever asked me that question. I love it. Oh, my God. Uh, and I've got an immediate answer. It's Deep Foods Extra Hot Hot Mix. Mm, like, that my is mouth's watering. I don't even know what yes. it is, but my mouth's watering. Describe oh, this so to me. Good. Describe this to me. What does it taste it's like? It's just, it's the extra spicy version mm, um, of it. And I just, yeah, I love it. Yeah, I love it. Amazing. Ever since I was introduced to it when I was like 12, I feel like it's it's become my uh, comfort food since then. <laughs> Which again is another reason when I saw like the bags of namkeen on set with Charithra, I was just like, this is such a moment for me personally. Like this is so wild. <laughs> on every level. <laughs> it's so wild. Um, yeah. Yeah. Do you yeah. have a favorite namkeen? I, oof, gosh, yes. Um, I love, um, you know, the pepper banana chips? Yeah. Do you ever have them? They're like more a South Indian thing, I think. So I love that. I love the save, you know, it's like a very Bombay thing. Oh, yeah. It's like yeah. this really um, thin, deep fried, obviously, it's all deep fried. Very, very crunchy. And I always keep like a bag in my kitchen. Yes. And every time I'm like either super stressed or super happy. Or anything in between, I can go get that bag. <laughs> yes, exactly the same. I'm exactly the same. <laughs> Any other kind of Indian food that you love? I'm curious to know what you. What's your thing? Yeah, well, my mom's um, my mom's roti and alu is my favorite. Oh, That's my just God. it was like my favorite growing is up. Is that like um, an alu paratha? Or is that something different? Uh, no, it's like alu like, paratha. Al- yes, it's like alu paratha. Got yeah, it, got yeah, it, got it. Uh, love pani puri, love mm. dosha. I, I mean, love that you said it, dosha, really. not dosa. Yes, <laughs> top marks. <laughs> Thank you. And a mango lassi. You can't go wrong with a good you mango lassi. Cannot. You cannot. I love doshas too. And appams. Have you ever had appams? They're like I from Kerala, so. so they're like the soft, yes. spongy bit in the middle and crispy on the yes. outside. Oh, I love an appam. That's like favorite. That's very good. Appam and egg curry, like brunch favorite of all time. Yes. Okay, now that we've talked enough about food. (laughs) So I've got a little question for you. So what would Varsha now sitting here say to Varsha, five-year-old Varsha sitting in, I'm going to say Louisiana, because I'm assuming that's where you were. That's where I was. What would you say to her? Oh, great question. Um, I would say to her to stick with what you love, stick with your passions, because it's going to all work out. That is really beautiful because 
it's that, isn't it? We're told, stop daydreaming, stop this, stop this, get practical, get, but actually, no, keep dreaming, right? Yeah, exactly. That's the advice. Exactly. Yes. Absolutely. I can't tell you how many times my dad told me I had pipe dreams growing up, <laughs> but that's exactly it. Yeah. It's that discouragement. So I'd say keep dreaming yeah. for sure. And to, you know, calm any sense of anxiety. I think yeah. it means yeah. a lot to me to say like, it's going to work out. It's Things gonna are going to be fun. Out. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And even with your dad saying that or any of our parents or, you know, older people in our life saying that it comes from their own place of anxiety because they've never had that. Exactly. So I think we've also got to understand that they're not saying it to kind of destroy our dreams. In Absolutely. their minds, they're trying to look after us because they've exactly. never had those opportunities. So they cannot imagine a world in which you happen. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, it took me, again, you know, being an adult to realize yeah. that. But, you know, their their ultimate goal for me was always like financial stability. Yes. So, of course, I understand why you only want to push us into three professions that have that kind of financial stability that you're looking for as an immigrant to the U.S. Like, I, I totally get it. Last but not least, what advice would you or what words would you have for listeners of Masala Podcast? Okay, I'd say... Um, South Asians really are having a moment across industries. So please go out and celebrate it and take advantage of it. Uh, and if you've ever had, you know, doubts about pitching that podcast idea or the show idea or writing a feature, um, and absolutely remember you can pitch Team Vogue at any time, just do it. If you've got something that you want to do, even if you've got a lot of anxiety or fear about it, just go for it because we are in this incredible moment where a lot of us have opportunities that generations before did not have. And I just want to see us all take advantage of it. That's fantastic. We've never had a moment like this, actually. When you were speaking, this is what I was thinking. This has never happened before. Never happened. It's amazing. Isn't it? Like I'm getting yeah. goosebumps. Yes. Like yeah. all of us in all these parts of the world are kind of rising creatively, doing these amazing things. And the world is there for us. It is opening up to us, which has never happened before. So this is the moment. This is the moment. Now is our time. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so, so, so much, Marsha, for your, you know, your brimming with joy and energy and positivity and, you know, all sorts of wonderful things. And it makes my heart like really, really happy. Thank you. To be talking to you, to be seeing you on, on the screen. Thank you so, so, so much for being a Masala podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This was wonderful. Thank you for listening to Masala podcast. Masala podcast is part of my platform, Soul Sutras, dedicated to celebrating and supporting South Asian women. This is a space for all of us bad babies who don't do as we're told. This is where we get to celebrate our culture our way and be exactly who we want to be. I'd love to hear from you. Get in touch via email at soulsutras.co.uk or my website soulsutras.co.uk. I'm also on Instagram and Twitter. Just look for Soul Sutras. Masala Podcast was created and presented by me, Sangeeta Pillai, produced by Anushka Tate, opening music by Sunny Robertson. Dear Teenage Me, you know that you have a list of your dreams. And we have practicality to apply to your dreams. But don't worry. मैं टिक ऑफ कर रही हूं तेरी बकेट लिस्ट को बट एट आर ओन पेस डियर टीन एज मी इज अ स्पॉटिफाई ओरिजिनल पॉडकास्ट प्रोड्यूस्ड बाय यूवा ओरिजिनल्स एंड होस्टेड बाय मी एहसास चाना क्लिक ऑन द बेल आइकन एंड लिसन नाउ